This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Good morning. Kyle! Oh, it's so good to hear your voices um, coming in loud and clear there, Jen. Thank you for that excitement. Today, we're in Romans 6, and I receive it as that. Um, uh, Today, we're looking at Romans 6, 15 through 23. If you missed last week's episode with Courtney Doctor, don't miss that. It was really good, and uh, it was a delight to have her on the show. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But Romans 6, 15 through 23 is what we're looking at today. I'll read verses 20 through 23 just to get the juices going. And we'll jump right in for today. That you're, The anti-banter crowd will love this introduction. So this is for you, anti-banter and knowing faith fans. Go team! Romans 16, starting in verse 20. Like banter. It did. <laughs> uh, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, We've been looking at the letter to the church in Rome. We're doing Romans 1 through 8 this season. We'll do Romans 9 and following in the spring. And now we find ourselves in Romans 6. And we Paul has been answering an objection that people might have had in light of what he said in Romans 5. If where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, then why not just keep on sinning? And grace will just keep on increasing. Well, Paul anticipates that in Romans 6, 1 through 14. He answers that objection by talking about being baptized into Christ's death and resurrection, and that we are then to go on and live a life of putting to death the deeds of sin or casting aside the reign of sin and living under the reign of grace, the dominion of grace. We're no longer under the dominion or the tyranny of the law. And in verses 15 through 23, he moves some language here, and he does so in a way that is a little jolting. Let's just start with it. Paul seems to suggest that everyone's a slave. It's just a question of what, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, he says in verse 15 and following, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So it's like Paul saying, everyone's a slave. How does this kind of call us back to Paul's self-identification in the greeting of the letter, right? What's he say at the beginning? At the very beginning, he says, I'm a servant, a slave, a, a doulos of Christ Jesus. And so that, I think, is what Paul is saying here. And it's, it's just a helpful, I think, sobering reminder. As it relates to sin and righteousness, there is no middle ground. There is no kind of uh, walking between the two. You will either serve uh, disobedience or you, you will serve obedience. You will serve slavery or you will, you will serve sin or you will serve Christ. Now, again, we need to be reminded of what we talked about with Courtney Doctor last year. That doesn't mean we no longer sin. It's yeah. just Paul is, Paul is trying. He, he has opponents in this church mm-hmm. who, are, who are saying that your gospel is going to lead to a, to a kind of, of uh, grace run wild. And Paul is, is trying to show, nope, I've still got a really healthy doctrine of sin and healthy doctrine mm-hmm. of sanctification or pursuing a holy life in God, not so that we can be made righteous, but because we have been made righteous. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's good. And, you know, this, this passage reminds me of uh, the Bob Dylan song, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Like, hey, there's not an option here. You're, you're going to be a slave. You're either going to be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're going to be a slave to obedience or to God or to righteousness, which leads to life and righteousness. Well, and we talked about at the end of our episode with Courtney about the idea of dominion and rule and its significance mm-hmm. in the life of the 
believer and its significance in the story of the Bible. And when we hear um, slave to anything, we think bad. But the point that he's making here is that for righteousness to have total dominion, total rule over you is the best possible scenario that you could ever hope for. Yes. So I do think we have to deal with the baggage that we have, I mean, for good reason, around the word slave. Yeah. And understand that Paul's point is is hanging at a, is hanging above that it's not it's not subject to our negative associations with it he's making a bigger point about the nature of our relationship to an infinitely benevolent god who um mm-hmm. drawing us into a relationship with righteousness in which righteousness rules us is actually not only the thing that's best for us but it's the thing we were created for yeah and i, I think that's really important because oftentimes we think about freedom as casting aside of all constraints mm-hmm. but there are actually some constraints that are life-giving like you would never tell, you know, you would never look at a fish who jumps into the fisherman's boat that he's cast aside the constraint of the ocean. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, yeah. he's going to die. You know, it's not good. He's now in bondage to the thing that he was protected from. So there are some limits, some guardrails, some constraints that are good. That was a good analogy. Are you a, actually a fisher person? I'm not. A fisher person? Used, <laughs> a fisher person. Um, I'm a Fisher Price kid, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not a fisherman or a Fisher person. I've just used that analogy a lot to talk about living under God's sovereign rule, which is that when we think about, oftentimes in our world, we think about freedom as limitlessness or being free from all constraints. So to hear that we're a slave to righteousness, one, because of the baggage we have around the term slavery, rightful baggage, well-earned baggage on the topic of slavery, it's hard to hear it rightly. But beyond that, even if that wasn't an issue, we and we had a Western understanding of freedom, we would think that slavery to something good was a bad thing because it is a constraint, but it's not. Yeah, It's being bound to something that is life-giving. So the kind of Uh, I'm air quoting slavery here, slavery that we are invited into, the law that gives freedom, I think is the way that James says it, um, is that you are being placed into the ecosystem in which you will thrive, sort of like the fish going back into the water. Yeah, absolutely. You're now, you now find yourself in congruence with the way that God designed the world to work. The rhythms of the kingdom, the ethic of the kingdom, uh, the the spirit of the law, whatever we would want to say. And I think that's exactly where Paul takes us in the next verse. Do you not, you know, uh, but thanks be to God that you were, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Mm-hmm. Obedient from the heart, that captures exactly what we're talking about here, right? Which is like a fundamental transformation that happens in union with Christ. We've been, we, we've died with Christ, we've risen with Christ, and now we can be obedient from the heart. It can emerge from who we are. Our obedience isn't to garner this kind of core transformation. It's in light of this core transformation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think um, just candidly, these passages, you revisit them over and over and over again in the Christian life. And as I'm revisiting them, just reminded of the the importance. I, I, I think if, if you're just listening, maybe, again, maybe you're driving the car or walking the dog, who knows, but Paul is really highlighting the necessity not the opportunity, but the necessity of obedience in the Christian life. And he's tying it to his doctrine of grace. And so as I've been thinking about this and preparing, I've really been challenged to think, I think sometimes I define grace simply as the forgiveness of sin. Mm -hmm. Now, grace is the forgiveness of sin. 
But grace is also the power to take dominion over sin. And that's what Paul is highlighting here is that you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, forgiven of your sin, but also those who have a new master, your master is no longer sin, your master is God. Therefore, that's a, that there's a necessity of walking towards obedience in him, which is the grace-filled life that now is obedient from the heart. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's good. So uh, Paul goes on here to talk about kind of to play this out a little bit further, to game it out a little bit further. But thanks be to God, you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So he keeps coming back to this dynamic. You've been set free, but you've been set free so that you can now become a slave, a slave to something totally different, right? You're no longer a slave to sin, you're now a slave to righteousness. You're a servant mm-hmm. of righteousness. I think it's important to remember here that for Paul, um, uh, Paul is not calling us something he did not already call himself. Mm-hmm. Like if you're troubled by like the servant slave language, I understand. But Paul self-identifies this way at the very beginning of the letter. So he's not like, this is not him putting on his, his pastor voice with the people of the church in Rome. He's already, he's calling them something that he's already called himself. And they, that would not be lost on them because they would not be studying it over eight weeks, nine weeks. They would have already heard the introduction to this letter, right? Yeah, well, and this is the guy who calls himself in other places the chiefest of sinners. And so the one mm-hmm. who regards himself to be the chiefest of sinners would also, by logic, connect himself to be the lowest of servants. Like he's not elevating himself above others. He's saying, hey, I of all people should be in this category because if you want to talk about unrighteousness, I've been there. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture. But what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. Now in verse 19, Paul does something that seems, I got to tell you, this seems off-putting. Sometimes Paul will kind of like provide meta commentary on his teaching. You guys know this when he does this in his writing, but this is an example. He says in verse 19, it's almost like he pans out. He's like, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. I mean, this this does not strike me well. Like, well, like if you like, said that in a sermon, imagine. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be like, hey. I mean, you'd be like, or on the podcast, if I was like, JT Jen, let me let me really let me drop it down real low for you here, because I know you two are dumb dumbs, you know. <laughs> it's like I don't love how this feels, um, but 
what is what does he mean here? What is 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 Paul is he is he slapping the audience here? Is that what he's doing, or is he just trying to acknowledge like, hold on here, I know what I'm talking about is complicated and technical. Let me try to break it down for you. Is that what's yeah. happening? I mean, obviously he's trying to do the second thing. Well, not obviously. I guess it's not obvious. It's worth talking about. But like, yes, he's doing the second thing. But I, th- I actually really appreciated in in uh, Michael Bird's commentary, which I have enjoyed quite a bit on this. It's, a, it's um, really good. Yeah. Romans preparation. He he points back to the audience, and he's like, "Hey, keep in mind, you know, like we've talked about all along, that some in his audience are either former slaves or current slaves." And yep. so when he gives this illustration, he's I think what he's doing is softening it a little and saying, hey, look, I mean, kind of like, just like what we have been trying to do is trying to be very careful with the way that the metaphor is being applied so that it's not seen as being just a, a casual uh, reference to something that is a very painful uh, reality. And so um, I think that's probably what he's doing here. I thought that was a really good take that Bird had on that particular place where he does this. So, he, but he goes on here, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So we get this contrast between lawlessness and sanctification. And and Jen's smiling because she's got a dog in this fight, you know, um, because Jen wants us to really recapture a, a Christian deep understanding of sanctification. What do you... What, you're looking at me like you want to jump on this question. Well, I mean, I have a theological dog in this fight, but I also have a grammatical dog in this fight. <laughs> Yay, it's a bonus day. Because look at the parallelism that's here. He says, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. So it's lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, which corresponds to righteousness leading to more righteousness. Sanctification is more righteousness. It means that we are growing in righteousness as we grow uh, into the image of Christ. So I just love that there's a nice little grammatical thing there that's that's pointing to this idea of an increasing righteousness, that sanctification is an increasing righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. And I think one of the things that's important is that Paul, Courtney mentioned this last um, on the last episode, uh, Paul in this passage is moving from indicative to imperative. He is, and, and it's, we got to say, clearly. Paul is calling the church in Rome to action based off of what he's told them. And that's not a legalistic thing to do. Yeah, He's saying, this is what you've been given. This is the change that's happened. There's a transformation that has occurred because of the power of the gospel, the deliverance of God, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Subsequently, this is now where you are to head. You are to head not to increasing lawlessness, but to increasing sanctification, which is conformity to the image of Christ. And so in Romans 7, again, it's going to be a really out, out, an outworking of this in Paul's personal life uh, as an example. But in verse 20, oh, go ahead, please. No, no, no. No, don't move on because I got to talk a little more about it. Okay, so verse 19, he doesn't say, uh, at least in this translation, he doesn't say, present your members as slaves to impurity and to unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, the word that he uses for the idea of unrighteousness is significant. It is yep. lawlessness. So in other words, even the legalist is lawless if the legalist is someone who's not a believer. That's good. Uh, because they've taken the law and used it for their own means. And so again, what, what we're not saying when we talk about being free from the law's condemnation is that we're free from obedience to the law. Why? Because lawlessness is a synonym for unrighteousness. Yep. So we do not want to be lawless. We want to be lawful and we want to be lawful as those who obey the law from the heart, as Paul has said. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. That's excellent. That's good. JT, just out of curiosity, if somebody came up to you at your church and said, um, hey, pastor, I've been reading Romans chapter six, 
And when Paul says, for you, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That confuses me. That seems wrong, doesn't it? Like, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness? Hold on. No, we weren't. We weren't free in regards to righteousness. We couldn't be righteous. Didn't Paul already say that in Romans 3? So what does he mean here when he says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness? What's going on? I actually don't know. (gasps) Okay. I know a little trick so we can figure it out. Boom, let's do it. Show us, Jen. Anytime you hit something weird like this, um, you can look it up in a different translation and see if it helps you. And so if you read it in the NIV, it says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Hmm. I feel like that helps. Don't you think that helps? So basically he's just saying in a different way what he's already said, which is that when you were slaves of sin, you were not slaves to righteousness. Yeah, he's talking about the locus of control. We were under the control of unrighteousness. Got it. Therefore, we were not under the control of righteousness. Do you buy that? Yeah, I think so. I like that, yeah. Well, that's what we were talking about with Courtney, of like the the, the flesh and the spirit. Like, what are you under? What is the... What is your way of being? Yeah, it's that whole thing of you didn't choose righteousness at all. That's right. Like you chose unrighteousness every single time. So in that sense, you were free from righteousness because it was not even something you were considering as an option. That's good. That's good because whenever I read it, this is one of those times, and that that is a great just Bible study methods thing that Jen just did there because when you read Mm -hmm. this passage— when you, uh, uh, I was, you know, I've been, pre- you know, I don't need to keep saying this. We're all preaching and teaching Romans, but <laughs> somebody came up to me, they're reading ahead and they, they came up to me and said, Hey, Kyle, what does this mean? Because I thought Romans three said, Paul said, we could not choose righteousness. So what does it mean to be free in regard to righteousness? I think that's a great demonstration right there of going, okay, what's happening here. Isn't what it looks like. The, the translation here isn't helping us because Paul is really just saying in verse 20, what he's just been saying in verses 15 through 19, you were under the the dominion of sin. You were a slave to sin. When you were a slave to sin, you were not a slave to righteousness. You weren't under the dominion of it. Again, we're thinking of dominion as a bad thing, but to be under the dominion of righteousness is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And Paul's saying, because look at it in verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So Paul's not conceiving of being under the dominion of righteousness as a bad thing. He's not conceiving of being a, a, a slave to righteousness as a bad thing. He's saying, if you're here, you're in the fertile soil of what true living is and not just for the moment, but eternally, forever. This is a good life forever, and it's possible only in one place, and that's under the reign of righteousness or being a slave to God or a slave to obedience or a slave mm-hmm. to righteousness, right? I think that's right. Yeah. And I think Romans 6.23 is such a beautiful snapshot of all of this, isn't it? One sentence gospel summary. I mean, could you ask for something better than for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, and it, and it plays really well. I mean, because this verse, I mean, how, how many times have we heard this verse in gospel presentations or mm-hmm. at the end of a yeah. sermon? And rightfully so. This is a really clear explanation of what the gospel is. But you have to read it at how it's functioning in verses 15 to 23, specifically as it relates to 
being slaves. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the slave wage of sin is death. If you, are, if you are enslaved to it, the payment that you're going to receive is death and eternal separation from God. However, if you have been placed in Christ by God's grace, then the free gift is inheritance of eternal life because you've been placed in him. So I think it's, it's important to, to, to see this functioning in the ec- economic terms that Paul is building out for yeah. us here in verses 6 and 15. You're either a slave and the slave's wage is death, or you're a son, an heir, a slave to righteousness, and the free gift is eternal life. Yeah. I love that. I, I think that's the right context. Isn't there a little bit of an irony thing going on here because a slave would not have received a wage or a gift? Well, I think part of this has to do with our understanding of wages and mm-hmm. the bond servant's understanding. So I think do, I do think that in Paul's time, the idea of bond servant, they were receiving a wage. They uh-huh. were receiving a compensation, even if it was merely room and board for a kind of uh, under-resourced, underprivileged group of people. That was, it was a means of economic advancement, which is totally different than the way chattel slavery functioned in uh, the antebellum South. So it's important to understand we, we are operating off of some different conceptions economically right. of slavery. So I do think that when Paul says this, the turn is, is this like sin is death is what you deserve. That is your wage. Mm-hmm. Like by nature, you're an earner of something, but it's not grace. Mm-hmm. It's death and sin that you earn that by nature. And you've got an engine that works pretty effective at earning that wage. But what's contrasted here is not it's wages of sin and free gift. Mm-hmm. It's like the free gift is the surprise. The free gift is the what you did not earn, what you could not have secured, right? Mm-hmm. And so I do think that for Paul's audience, they would have heard this and been like, yes, okay, I understand. A, a bond servant, a doulos, a slave earns a wage. There mm-hmm. is something that compensates them for the job that they do. But this free gift is contrasted with that. And it's not just what you need. It's far more than you need. It's not just the wages of sin is death. That The free gift is eternal life. It's like, wow, that's a gift that's disproportionate to any conception of what somebody could earn on their own, right? Yeah. So free gift understood in the, con- in the context of the whole message of Romans is um, pointedly directed at his Jewish Christian listeners, uh, perhaps maybe even a little more so than it is to his Gentile Christian listeners, because they're the ones who would have wanted to say, well, I mean, you know, there is some earning involved. Yeah. I mean, if you're a good obeyer of the law and instead he's saying, no, you receive the free gift and that's why you're even able to obey at all. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, I think that as, I think that's broadly true. Now we've mentioned this work before and it's important here because we got gift language again, but John Barclay has really pushed back on the notion. He's a Paul scholar. He's pushed back on the notion that gifts are, uh, are uh, unconditional in the ancient world and that they would not have understood gift language here or elsewhere as unconditional. They would have heard it as incongruent. And that's a distinction that Barclay wants to make, that gifts and the gift of salvation would have been understood. And again, grace is a, etymologically, it shares root words with, with, the, with the Greek word for gift. So the connection here is not just gift itself, but gift and grace, both of those things tied together in the, the root of the word. And Barclay's point here is significant, and I, I, it's well-received by me, which is that the idea of grace is, and the idea of salvation as gift is not that it is um, unconditional, because it does come with conditions. It's that it's incongruent, meaning it's undeserved. The surprise of grace isn't that grace um, is given without 
uh, without without a sense of reciprocation or consequence, but that it is given to those who do not deserve it. And I think that that is part of what's been going on. I think that's part of what Paul's going to detail in Romans 7, which is that the impact of this grace has consequence. You don't deserve this grace, but it does have impact. And so in that sense, it's not unconditional. It's merely incongruent. That's where it creates reciprocity is if you are the the, the person who is aware of their lack of deserving this gift, when you receive it as a free gift, what would you want to respond with? Reciprocity, obedience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a new master now. Mm -hmm. My master is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And loyalty, faithfulness, allegiance to him is now how I'm going to live my life. Not because I've earned it. It is incongruent, but I will reciprocate the gift that I've received. Because of Barclay's work, I've taken to saying, talking about grace this way, grace is a gift that God gives to us so that we may give ourselves back to God. We can't give ourselves to God. By nature, we can't do that. No one is righteous, no, not one. Mm -hmm. No one seeks after God. But God gives us grace, which we do not deserve and we cannot earn. And having received that grace, we now can give ourselves back to God. We can now be a slave to righteousness. We can be a slave to God. We can be obedient from the heart because of what God has done by grace. Mm and in the gift of grace. So, mm-hmm. well, Romans 6 has come to an end, and we are now on the cusp. Did we leave any stone unturned, Jen? No, I feel pretty good about it. How about you? I feel good about it, too. And we're headed into Romans chapter 7, which I don't know if you know this, Romans chapter 7, one of the most complicated and contested chapters <laughs> It'll in be the fun, letter. probably. <laughs> and uh, to navigate it effectively, we have brought in uh, Dr. Tom Schreiner, who, oh, will be uh, unlike us, is a legitimate Paul scholar. <laughs> <laughs> credentialed Paul Scholar, uh, and uh, we have brought him in, and I, well, I'll tell you, we've already recorded that episode, and I'm just going to tell you this, it's good. Uh, it is a very good episode, and I would strongly encourage you to take a listen to it, and he has a way of approaching some of the complexities of Romans 7 mm-hmm. that is not only, I think, exegetically sound, it's practically immensely helpful. So we hope you will listen to that episode. If you're looking for more Knowing Faith stuff, you can find us at Knowing Faith Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you're looking for some behind the scenes stuff, you can go over to patreon.com where we do unique episodes, video stuff, newsletters, all sorts of fun stuff over there. Go to patreon.com slash Knowing Faith Podcast. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Grace and peace.